Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The Dave Hooker Show. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. Objective insight, expertise, top guest. Available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off the Hook Sports app. Download now for free. Also available on offthehooksports.com. I compute and obey. Now to Dave Hooker. Ready. With Caleb Calhoun, I'm Dave Hooker, and our new Tuesday guest that we're super excited about, John Adams of the Knoxville News Sentinel, and USA Today and Gannett, whatever they call themselves, I will join us, John Adams, award-winning columnist, our new Tuesday guest, and I think you're really going to enjoy that. That should be a lot of fun. So go ahead and get on board. Let's get your thoughts on the Vols being number 12 in the preseason AP poll. Also, Aaron Beasley is on the veterinary watch award list. Why he might not even be Tennessee's best linebacker. Five biggest concerns for the Vols entering the 2023 camp. And we'll discuss uh, Nico's, uh, Nico's impact potentially this year. Also, Peyton Manning touts uh, Joe Milton. So we'll get to that. And uh, what's he going to say? He's now a professor. He has to. He's a part of the team. And what's a tougher game for the balls, Florida or South Carolina? And also this Michael Orr lawsuit is incredibly bizarro. So here we go. We are off and running as John Adams will join us here very shortly. And let's get to it. Uh, Tennessee, number 12 in the preseason poll. We've actually got John a little bit early. John, do you just want to go ahead and bounce on with us now? Well, I just scheduled for 1025, but I see you in the queue, and I'm ready to rock it. Um, check your schedule book or your cell phone. <laughs> that was 10 o'clock. It was Did 10 it? o'clock last week, too. It'll be 10 o'clock next week. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and get rolling. I'm checking my schedule book as we speak. Today's awesome. tough question is brought to you by Zen Sports. That's where you need to gamble. Zen Sports. Use the promo code hook. Here we go. Today's tough question. Take a side. 
take a stand. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of OffTheHookSports.com. Tennessee number 12 in the AP preseason poll. And I ask you this, is that too high or too low? And the question is brought to you by Zen Sports. Zen Sports, the new sports book in Tennessee. And they were revolutionizing the way you earn sports betting rewards. That means no more deposit bonuses that turn into deposit nightmares on Zen Sports. What you see is what you get with our cash rewards program. You get a lot of cash for a welcome bonus. Earn an unlimited 5% cash back on your betting volume for your first 15 days. When you sign up with the promo code HOOKED, that's HOOKED, unlimited, 5% cash back. Keep betting, keep earning with up to 3% cash back in your betting volume. Every month after that, refer friends to earn a percentage of their betting volume as cash rewards too. Zen Sports bringing the cash back to Tennessee. So if you bet big on sports, you want to be betting on Zen Sports. Zen Sports betting just got better. And I'll tell you this too, that their futures uh, for the over-under with uh, Tennessee is quite enticing. I checked that out last night. So go to uh, download the app, Zen Sports, and you'll have a fantastic time. Tennessee, number 12 in the preseason AP poll. It is today's tough question. John, let me start with you. Too high or too low? What are your thoughts? I think any anywhere between 10 and 15 would be fine for Tennessee. Uh, the coaches poll had Tennessee 10th last week, so there's not a real big discrepancy there. Uh, I think there's some questions about Tennessee's defense, uh, particularly in the secondary. Um, some uncertainty about Joe Milton, his Hendon Hooker's successor. And there's some spots in the offensive line that might uh, create some concerns. So I, I think that's a valid uh, you know, 12, I don't think you can complain about that. On the other side, I think everybody recognizes that Josh Heupel's offense is really hard to slow down. So I think those are the factors that play into it. I totally agree. All right, Caleb, what teams ahead of Tennessee do you think should not be ahead of Tennessee? Well, last week when the coaches poll came out, I railed against Clemson and Florida State. So I won't do that again. I want to be nice to them. I'll just wait till the season starts when I start picking against Route Florida State every week. <laughs> <laughs> um, that right now, Florida State LSU line is about two and a half. I want to see if I can get more money on an alternate line at like seven or eight or nine for LSU. Um, but this week, I'm railing against Texas. Yes, I'm going ham on Texas because I don't see where the love for Texas is. You can say you have questions about Joe Milton entering the year. I got questions. Well, there's no questions about Quinn Ewers, really. He's just bad. I mean, that's the way I look. It's, it's, it's one thing to be a sure thing when you're good, but I feel like Quinn Ewers is a sure thing of not being good. So I, I'm not so sure where this hype behind Texas is coming from. I've been similar with Florida State. I have been on the Texas is overrated train for a long time. They have no business being ahead of Tennessee. I probably would have put Tennessee ahead of Washington only because Washington last year hit the lottery. Anybody that followed them, they didn't have to play USC or Utah last year in the Pac-12 schedule. And that ends up being how they finish 11-2. and two. But they do have a quarterback in Michael Phoenix Jr. who is very, very good. He He's a sure bet the other way. Fun fact, he was committed to Tennessee in 2017 until the Butch Jones disaster hits. Oh, that seemed to go well compared to Jeremy Pruitt. 
John, what <laughs> what teams ahead of Tennessee would because you used to be an AP voter, and God bless you. It's 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 almost like volunteering for a charity because you would wake up, spend two three hours, right, every Sunday putting together your AP vote because you really cared about it. It's not like the coaches poll where the sports information people that know nothing about football typically do it. But you you would do your AP poll. When you look at that, I know you said it's okay, but what teams do you think Tennessee should be ahead of that are ahead of them now? Well, I think in uh, – I, I have a little bit of a problem with Clemson when we talked about that last week, uh, came out in the coaches poll. I know this is a completely different season, and I know their quarterback will be better this year. Uh, that was an unusual position he was in. However, Tennessee beat Clemson handily and did so kind of left-handed almost without the main players on that team, particularly offense, top two wide receivers, quarterback, and then hooker. Uh, so to me, that I wouldn't have Clemson ahead of Tennessee. A lot of this depends on how you look at it when you do a preseason poll. What I tried to do is how I thought the teams would end up. Uh, so also, at the end of the year. Yeah, at the end of the year, here's my opportunity. Here's I think will be the top 25. And I rarely got the number one team right. I picked Alabama when it didn't win usually. I think the other way to do that is to say, who's the best team? Who you think is the best team? Schedule really factors into this. And so when you look at teams like Clemson and Florida State, granted, Florida State has a tough opener against LSU. It's an underdog. Uh, But overall, playing in the ACC lends itself to a better record. The selection committee is supposed to consider schedule, and I think it does in the NCAA tournament, but I'm not sure if the football selection committee is putting enough weight on schedule at this juncture. Uh, in terms of how the team should be right. But when you're doing a preseason poll to me, and I look at that and I say, well, you got when Tennessee has to play Alabama and Georgia, imagine if Tennessee had, well, let's say uh, Clemson's schedule. Uh, Or even, well, Texas have a hot, Caleb brought up Texas as being overrated. I agree with that because Steve Sarkeesian is still the coach. And I'm still (laughs) mystified why everyone thinks he's the next Nick Saban or Urban Meyer, but there seems to be a movement afoot out there. He's anything but. He's never really won any championships. So he has a cool name. He has a cool name. It sounds like it should be on Star Trek or something. Yeah, and he's pretty good at a cocktail party. Ouch. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, just saying. No, he is. He makes every bartender happy. Yeah, I'm with John on this fully with Steve Sarkeesian, and I've been on that train for five years. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. I want to go back to the Clemson thing, too, how uh, you know, Tennessee did so left-handed. And, John, if you can, dive into that, because we, we talked about it last night. They did so left-handed. I think some people were thinking just naturally a new quarterback because Hendon Hooker got hurt. But it was way more than that. It was a lot of the guys, if people forget, opted out for, to go ahead and get ready for the NFL. 
fortunately for Tennessee, Darnell Wright didn't opt out. Yes. Uh, it, it offensive tackle and became the number 10 pick overall. I look at Clemson. When I look at Clemson, I can't help but compare it to Clemson at its best. And it's just not at its best right now. It's, it's as though Clemson is, <coughs> excuse me, Clemson is kind of watered down. It's a, you know, maybe nine, nine win team. <coughs> maybe you need to talk a minute. Oh, I can talk a minute. And uh, Caleb, if it's uh, a nine win team, um, I think that's kind of where at number 12 that most people have uh, Tennessee. If if you're at 12 in the AP poll, you're kind of a nine and three team in that area, right? You're 10 and two if you're top 10 or better. It's basically the projection. We all agree on that. Yeah, yes, theoretically, um, which is unfortunately just to do a little sidestep why I cannot stand the new college football playoff model coming because I don't like seeing nine and three teams play for a title, but that's a that's going to happen next year. But that's a different story for another day. And I, I would say that I would say nine and three will get you flirting with the top ten in the SEC, particularly when you see Alabama, Ohio State. I'm sorry, Alabama, Georgia, and LSU are unanimous top five. Well, Alabama and LSU have got to play each other. Uh, lucky for Georgia, they get to avoid both. Um, but I would say that's – so I, if, if you're 9-3 in the SEC in a certain scheduling year, you could be top 10. But, I mean, ACC, you got to be 10-2 minimum to be top 10, in my opinion. So, John, I think basically what this is saying, the voters are saying that uh, they think – Tennessee is going to to lose one of those coin flip games and or they're going to lose a game other than Alabama or Georgia or maybe both. When you look at number 12, is that nine and three to you as an AP voter, former AP voter? Uh, Yeah, probably about right. I think you win a bowl game, you're 10 and three, then you can still make the top 10. If Tennessee goes Tennessee wins a bowl game, goes nine and three, wins a bowl game, and it's lot two of its losses are to Alabama and Georgia. It's definitely in the top ten. Uh, that's going to play into this, the Alabama-Georgia game. And I think it's reasonable to think Tennessee would lose one other game. You can t- I don't think it will, but when you the idea that Tennessee's so good, it won't stumble. Everybody stumbles. Uh the key element of that is. Do you stumble and still win? Tennessee stumbled against South Carolina and lost badly. So there's that possibility out there. But also, I don't think it's a given that Tennessee loses to both Georgia and Alabama. I could very well see Tennessee winning one of those games. Yeah, I do, too. I would I would have Tennessee in, in the 9-10 range uh, because of that. And, and using your criteria, John, if I go through the schedule – I think that they are a 10 and two regular season team. So I would have them uh, around the nine or 10 mark, which leads us to uh, the tougher game for the balls. And some people think that a trip to Gainesville isn't as tough as hosting a game, co- uh, the Gamecocks What the H. What the? What was he thinking? Release the hounds. The Dave Hooker Show. Keep cool. A presentation of offthehooksports.com. 
tougher game for the Vols. And we'll get into a little A&M and Kentucky as well. But, John, you wrote a recent column, Florida or South Carolina. If I had told you that South Carolina at home or Florida on the road, that they were even comparable, it's not that long ago you would say that's not even close. Florida would be the tougher game. But that's debatable this year, is it not? Yeah, I believe so. I think South Carolina, and I got a few emails on this one. Uh, I, I think South Carolina is a tougher game because of the matchups. And I go back to last year. Spencer Rattler, quarterback for South Carolina, versus Graham Mertz, a quarterback for Florida. Graham Mertz might be the worst starting quarterback in the SEC this year. Uh, wow. I, I mean, Spencer Rattler, I know he's been inconsistent, didn't play well first part of the season last year. But check out South Carolina's offensive line. It was it was one of the worst offensive lines in the country, I thought, early in the season. It got better, and things changed. Spencer Rattler, I weigh those last three games heavily. Uh, talk about inconsistency. There was no inconsistency in those three games. Tennessee, Clemson, Notre Dame, all nationally ranked. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame beat South Carolina. It was a very close game, high-scoring game. I match up Spencer Rattler and Antoine Wells, his top receiver, who was like 11 catches for 177 yards against Tennessee last year, against Tennessee secondary. I think they can terrorize Tennessee secondary. I don't think Florida can. Florida's strength is running the ball. It has a good running game, two really good running backs, even greater depth than those top two. Uh, but its offensive line to me is mediocre. Uh I just don't see Tennessee's strength on defense is against the run with, with its front seven. So I don't see it. The only reason for, to me to say Florida is a tougher game, it's, oh, no, it's in the swamp. Tennessee doesn't win in the swamp. It hadn't since the early 2000s. Um, so 2003, I guess. So I can see that. But uh, – I other than that, and I don't think even the swamp is a big as big a factor as it used to be. When Florida's rolling, the swamp is roaring. Uh, Florida's not rolling now. It's coming off a six and seven t- season, and if it gets dismantled by Utah in its opening game, and I think that's a very good possibility, a lot of the fan base will kind of say, "Well, we need to back off this this team a little bit." So, it, to me, it's. I could see Tennessee beating South Carolina by four touchdowns. But I also could see South Carolina taking that game down to the wire because of Spencer Rattler in in the receiving core. Caleb, how much do you factor, because I've mentioned this, the whole revenge thing. And I don't think that affects it during the game. I want to be clear on that. I don't think anybody says, oh, you beat us last year. It's the middle of the second quarter. I've got to play really hard. But I do think this, I think, you have everybody's attention from Sunday all the way through, and you'll have a great week of practice because they're going to be like, those are the guys that spoiled our chance to go to the college football playoff. Caleb, how much do you weigh the revenge factor in this game, the South Carolina game? I do because of what you said the week of practice. I think Tennessee did not practice well the week of the South Carolina game last year. Yeah, they, then- were, they, were fighting, they were fighting in the locker room. They were fighting in the locker room. And, and I – and John, I wanted to get your thoughts, but Dave and I talked about this that day, the South Carolina game. 
if you remember Tennessee at the time, I think it was like five or four of the college football playoff rankings. And there were a couple of things. It seemed like if they could, it seemed like they controlled their own destiny, but to be sure there were a couple of things they wanted to happen. And I think TCU was locked in a tight game that day. Ohio state was locked in a tight game that day. And I just got the vibe that Tennessee's defense spent the whole day watching those games. And it got, it just kind of got into their head for the night game that night. And it just had them play a, just with a lot less aggression, I want to say. And I think that I think that combined with the bad week of practice, combined with the Jeremy Spinks Bink suspension, that's how you get the South Carolina game you got last year. Yeah, Caleb, I don't give a whole lot of credence to the other game thing. I think players are pretty locked in uh, on game day. I just don't think – if that were the case, that would to me would be very troubling if they could be distracted that easily. Uh, I think it, the fact that there were some things going on with the team and Jerry Bean Banks episode, uh, that kind of thing, that was more of a, that was more of a factor, I thought. But also, you look at that defense. You look what Anthony Richardson did to that defense. Florida lost the game, but look what Anthony passed for well over 400 yards. Uh, look what Bryce Young did, did to that defense. I mean, Tennessee won because Alabama missed a field goal and Tennessee hit one, but its defense was porous in that game. Uh, so good quarterbacks with the right scheme, uh, right approach, an aggressive offensive approach really caused problems for that secondary. And, and I think that's what South Carolina did. I think if South Carolina's top two running backs hadn't been injured, Tennessee would have won the game. I will say this, though, from talking to Jacob Warren and Cooper Mason, by the way, they are on our YouTube channel. Click the like button and subscribe to get updates as to when the latest comes up. And also Celebrate 98 is on the YouTube channel. I, To Caleb's point, we, we use the, hey, Tennessee practices in the morning. And that's what helped them against LSU. I don't know if it's watching games or not, but talking to those guys, they do hate night games because you sit around, especially on the road, you sit around in the hotel all day. But ultimately, let's all be frank, it was the Jeremy Banks distraction. And South Carolina played really well. It's pretty much those two things, right? Well, yeah. I I think even without the Jeremy Banks uh, situation, uh, the way that game unfolded, Tennessee couldn't come. I don't think you look at Jeremy, Tennessee didn't have Jeremy Banks for the Clemson game. It actually was better defensively because Aaron Beasley moved into that role and had the game of his life. Uh, so I don't put a whole, I put some stock in that, but I don't believe Tennessee, even with Jeremy Banks and none of that had happened. I don't think Tennessee would win. would have won that game. Again, it had a its secondary is a really, really bad weakness. And it's got to score a lot of points in some instances to overcome that. And it couldn't get South Carolina. No, uh, good point. All right. So wanna, let me go ahead, Caleb. Sorry, I just wanted to bring this up real quick. John, I know you don't believe in Billy Napier as a game planner at all. I don't either. But do you think one thing that helps Tennessee versus South Carolina this year is I think South Carolina made the worst offensive coordinator of any team this year in the SEC. And that includes Mike Bobo at Georgia. I'm, And I say this as a Titans fan, remembering him in 2012. I have no faith in Dowell Gaines to do what he needs to do with Spencer Rattler. Well, that that's a valid point. 
I, I you know, I Shane Beamer's an offensive guy too. Um, I can't. If that's the case, then that was just a, a terrible, uh, terrible hire and a and a step backward for a program that seemed to be gaining momentum. Uh, I want to see the offense before I really comment on that. I mean, I can see why you would raise that question. Uh, I just think if if Spencer Rattler, he's one of those guys, and maybe I'm higher on him than most people are, but he's one of those guys that when he gets hot, he he is just almost impossible to stop. He just gets rolling, and he was rolling at the end of the year. And and maybe, uh, maybe that won't work with a different offense coordinator. But I just I watched him at Oklahoma, and it was the same way. When he was on, he was really on. And and again, I keep harping on this, but Tennessee's secondary. I mean, they've got. Uh, we figured it out the other day. It's like thirteen players who have made at least one start, and it covers about one hundred and thirty something starts. Tremendous experience in the secondary. But how much better have any of those guys gotten? No, I, I mean, we've Caleb and I've had this discussion too, John. I mean, the bottom line is it's not experience. It's just, I mean, they're not very good. I mean, it's, I mean, it sounds mean to say, but yeah, I can go get experience doing a lot of things and do it over and over and over. <laughs> My gym coach used to say back in the day, he goes, Yep, effort's important, but two plus two is never going to equal five, even if you write it a million times. That was your gym coach. Yeah. There are a lot of brilliant gym coaches in this world. It's true. A lot of them are coaching football in college. All right. So (laughs) Tennessee hired a former gym coach. Butch Jones reference. I mean, Jeremy Pruitt actually did coach PE. Jeremy Pruitt is a gym coach now. Yes. All right. So let me ask you both. Start with Caleb. Toughest game, rank them. Let's take out Alabama, Georgia. We have Florida, South Carolina, A&M, and Kentucky as legit, I don't want to say coin flip game, coin flip games, but I think we would agree that they're kind of the step down, and then you get to Vanderbilt. But uh, out of those four games, how would you rank them as the toughest, Caleb? You all ready for this? I'm ready. Number one one is Kentucky. That is the toughest of those four games. And Liam Cohen with Devin Leary – I have a lot more faith in Devin Leary than Will Levis. By the way, John, I don't know if you saw Will Levis for the Titans last weekend. I am still so angry that they drafted him that, like, they tra- I, I watch him and I'm like, you traded up for this guy. Um, so I think they upgraded at quarterback and they upgraded at offensive coordinator. And Tennessee plays them at their place when they're coming off a bye. So Kentucky's easily the toughest game. I'm still going to go Florida second. I, I, I get – I get all of John's points, but I think there's just a history of Tennessee and Florida that I think sometimes creeps into the players' heads. I, I, I think those mid-2010s Butch Jones years where they should have won four years in a row and they lost three or four, and I think just the mentality of playing Florida is something calls us that. Third is South Carolina. Fourth is A&M. I think Tennessee blows out A&M sleepwalking. John, how would you rank those four teams? Well, I'd flip those. I would start with uh, Texas A&M. I think Texas A&M has a really good secondary, a really good defense overall, and has depth because it had guys hurt last year. So uh, some of the younger players got experience. I think it has the ability to slow down Tennessee's running game without really getting its DBs involved, let them focus on coverage. 
I go back to the game last year with LSU. Uh, A&M's offense, it, it still wasn't rolling or anything, but its defense played well enough uh, to beat LSU, and it wasn't a it wasn't a cliffhanger game at all. So I think Texas A&M's talent uh, is significant. Uh, it was just really bad last year. The offense was really bad. Maybe Bobby Petrino can fix that. I don't know how that relationship will work out with Petrino and uh, and Jimbo Fisher. It's potential to be very combustible. But I just think A&M has more talent. I look at my list, and it has more talent than any of those teams. And A&M also has pulled off, going back, has pulled off upsets under Jimbo Fisher against really good teams. Um, that was the case last year against LSU. Second, uh, I would probably go with uh, South Carolina, again, because of the quarterbacking. And I know Kentucky has good quarterbacking, too. Maybe I look at Kentucky the way Caleb looks at Florida. He just can't get past that track record, which is understandable. Tennessee's won 17 of the last 19 games in Lexington. That's a game Kentucky invariably finds a way to lose. And that's why, and I go back to last season. I know Kentucky kind of unraveled there toward the end, but that was one of the most dominating performances Tennessee had on both sides of the ball. And it's mystifying to me that it wasn't all Will Levis's fault, but I don't even remember if he played in that game. If he did, no one recognized him as a first or an early round draft pick, I should say. So, uh, I would go. I would have to go with uh, South Carolina, then Kentucky, and then Florida fourth. And I, I look at that to have Florida that low. Wow. I've just. What about what about just if 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 I'm not saying this is the case, and I know Cooper's a part of the YouTube channel, but what about <laughs> if you've got a Cooper Mays just returning for the Florida game, which I don't think is going to be the case. I think he'll be back sooner than later, but. Um, inconsistency at the center position would that factor in at all john oh very much so that's a critical condition a position for tennessee uh tennessee asks a lot of its center i mean he's the guy that really sets that pace with the offense he's got to get up there and snap the ball in a hurry he's got to make calls quickly decisively that's not an easy position to play and so many times in college now Centers, high school centers aren't recruited highly for the most part. You get a center, you 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 know, you look at tackles and even guards, and you come into college and say, okay, we can move him to center. But I really think it helps to have a player like Cooper Mays, who seems to be a natural center, can handle all the mechanics of the job. And that's so important in this offense. So that would, yeah, that would be trouble. You go down there, Joe Milton's first. Uh, road game of the season. Uh, I'm not counting the the one in Nashville (laughs) for obvious reasons. Uh, It's a neutral site game in Virginia. I'm sure will bring a huge contingent of fans, maybe eight, 900 people. But uh, I I just think Joe Milton would want to have Cooper Mays as his center. Yeah, and I'm I'm saying let's say that they held Cooper out for the first two weeks to be ready for Florida. There's still some inconsistency there, but he, he is a very, very experienced player. I would say uh, the toughest games, I'm with Caleb on Kentucky. I think a lot of the history 
John, you brought up there is when Tennessee had a lot more talent than Kentucky. I don't think the talent gap is is that big. As far as the second toughest game, I'm going to say at Florida, South Carolina at home. I just think South Carolina already has Tennessee's attention because of what happened last year. I got a lot of respect for what South Carolina did. Don't get me wrong. And then I, I do think that Tennessee – Beats A and M. Coming up, uh, there's this guy called Nico. We will get into that and what type of impact he could have this year for the balls. We know Joe Milton is a starter, but what type of impact could Nico have? With Caleb Calhoun, I'm Dave Hooker, John Adams joining us back in 90 seconds. Our family has been creating one-of-a-kind pieces of jewelry in West Knoxville since 1986. Each piece is a combination of unique processes that bring your idea to life. Every day in our shop, a truly special item with a story all its own is being manufactured in our facility, bringing the history and family sentiment into a whole new generation of life. We are grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler, a title that we value and respect. Because to me, being a jeweler and owning a jewelry store are not the same thing. I'm Rick Terry. I'm a jeweler. And we want to be your jeweler. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street right next to the Tennessee Theater. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. These mountains hold and defend a spirit far better than moonshine a drink that holds flavor that becomes necessity a hard cider made and relished by folk who are as hearty as they are legend a refreshment that can only be found in one place with a taste that makes you say give me three bottles of the good stuff tennessee cider company where necessity can be found What's up, everybody? This is Jacob Warren asking you to like, subscribe, and share. Dave needs this. Objective coverage. Hey, that's new. If we get cut, we're going to jail. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of Off the Hook Sports. YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. I'm going to need to see some identification. Back to Dave Hooker. With Caleb Calhoun, I am Dave Hooker. John Adams uh, joining us on this Tuesday as we're looking forward to that throughout football season. And we want to get to four downs, which is going to include this guy named Nico that you may have heard. We're pulling four from the five biggest concerns for the Vols entering 2023. That's on offthehooksports.com. Great piece by Caleb that you can read but we're going to transition that into uh, four downs. And that will be brought to you by our good friend, Andy Mason, andymasonrealestate.com. I'll tell you more. First four downs is now on Off the Hook Sports. 
Four downs. Four questions. Four answers. The Dave Hooker Show. Four. Four. Four downs. A presentation of offthehooksports.com. All right, biggest concerns for the Vols entering 2023. Uh, Let's start right now with uh, first down, but I want to remind you, this is brought to you by Andy Mason, andymasonrealestate.com, best prices and service in East Tennessee. He'll absolutely take care of your real estate needs. I'll be making a phone call to him very shortly, but let's get to four downs right now. What down is it, Coop? Coop here, first down. Change in Tennessee's offensive coordinator. Big concern, no concern. John? Uh, no concern. He's been involved with uh, with Josh Heupel for a long time. He coached the quarterbacks. Uh, comes across in interviews as being very cerebral. Uh, so I don't think that will be a hitch at all in Tennessee's offense. Caleb, big concern, no concern. Can I say minuscule concern? Kind of splitting the baby, but yeah, go ahead. I am. Okay, and here's why. For the longest, I was seeing no concern because it's Josh Heibel's offense, and we saw Hosley last year, and Hosley's been with him for a while. However, I will say there's, to me, red flags if you were in a system for a while and you're never promoted. Hosley's been with Heibel since 2009, and he just now gets the offensive coordinator job. Like, Heibel didn't trust him when he first came to Tennessee to give him that job. That, that That's the red flag to me. That's a pretty fair point. I mean – I don't think we'll have this conversation, but could we have the conversation that Alex Golish was the brains behind Tennessee's offense? I mean, it's at least possible. I don't think that's the case. The trenches uh, will be what down, Coop? Cooper Mays here. Second down. Thank you. Uh, The trenches as a whole, John, uh, obviously Cooper's injury may add to that, but let's assume he's back 100% healthy at the end of next week, which is what we have been told. So in the trenches, um, you have uh, the Tennessee's pass rush and offensive line. Uh, big concern, uh, no concern, John. Uh, no concern really on the defensive front. Uh, maybe a little bit of a concern. You need to mount a pass rush, but I think Tennessee will be fine there. Uh, offensive line, yeah, that's a concern. Uh I just don't know how the tackles will play. However, Josh Heupel can scheme around offensive line play. He's done it before he did it in his first season here. Tennessee didn't have a great offensive line, and it averaged almost 40 points a game. There you go. Big concern, no concern, Caleb. Big concern. Um, John, I know you bring up he can scheme around the offensive line, and I agree, but Tennessee did have – significant improvement from 2021 to 2022 on their offensive line. I talked to Dave about this last week. I thought the biggest improvement in Hendon Hooker's game was his pocket presence. And I'm like, was that Hendon Hooker or was that just that the line got that much better in 2022? And then on the other side with the pass rush, I'm with you. I think, I think it'll work out long-term. I mean, I would ask both of you, can you just replace a Byron Young? Can you just plug in Tyler Barron and think that's going to be the same? That's what they're hoping to do. Um, whether or not you can, whether or not he's that good, I don't know. Um, but I think that Darnell Wright and Byron Young, their impact is a little bit understated and undervalued by some people moving forward. So I'll give you that. Third down, Coop, or is that right? Tennessee center Cooper Mays here. Third down. Yes, it is. The secondary, can we all just 
agree that this is still a big concern and has been since Josh Heupel walked on campus? Would everyone agree with that? I think so. One thing that strikes me about the secondary, all those guys back there with experience, most of them with starting experience, nobody sticks out. There's just no – I mean, if I had to pick which player from this group has all SEC potential, I come up empty. Yeah. Caleb, I tend to agree. The only guy the only guy I kind of like is Danico Slaughter, maybe. Um, but that's is that a reach, maybe. Totally agree with both you guys. We we've talked about this, John. What's the likelihood a freshman is starting a cornerback for Tennessee this year, either Jordan Matthews or Ricky Gibson? Well, I think it's a possibility, a definite possibility. If nobody in that in that secondary or a corner in particular raises their game and Tennessee's getting torched by multiple quarterbacks. Yeah. I could see a freshman starting and I'm, I'm Larry, a freshman is particularly in the secondary. Uh, nonetheless, there's just the possible, the possibility exists. Tennessee has to get better there uh, to go. I, I predict Tennessee predicted Tennessee would go 10 and two, and it needs to get a little better in secondary to do that. Yep, I agree. And let's get to fourth down, and we'll talk a little bit of Nico. Cooper Mays here. Second down. All right, guys. So the Second down. (laughs) Wrong button. Going back. It's like the Colorado game. All SEC center Cooper Mays here. Fourth down. Thank you. It is fourth down. All right. So we have uh, a transition to quarterback. So let's let's talk about that. And then John has some thoughts, I know, on – Nico and what kind of impact he might or might not have. Same for Caleb. So the transition to Joe Milton, John, how significant is that? How big of a concern? You you like Joe Milton quite a bit, which surprised me when I was talking to you last night because you kept bringing up the Ole Miss game previously, but you said the way he finished out has been pretty strong. I, your comments last night were very insightful. Well, I, I think – what really impressed me about Joe Milton was the Clemson game, not just his stats or the Tennessee won the game, but you go into the, the pregame theme was pretty much, well, these are fairly evenly matched teams, we thought. But if Joe Milton plays well, Tennessee should win. Even with Tennessee's attrition, I think that was going into the game. That was a consensus line of thinking. Uh, there was a tremendous amount of pressure on him. My biggest question about Joe Milton is not his passing accuracy. From everything I've been told, he's a more accurate passer now. And I thought he was more accurate last season as a backup than he was the previous season as a backup. Again, coming into games when they when the outcome wasn't hanging in the balance. I think he's improved in that area. He's been able to change speeds better. But the pressure of game situations against in big games particularly – that is a question I had, and he answered that in a positive way against Clemson. That's just one game. It's not a whole season, but that really had a, an impact on how I viewed Joe Milton. So, uh, Caleb, big concern, no concern? Joe Milton, I, I still say it's a concern because I'm not – do I think the Clemson game should have been enough to put Tennessee ahead of Clemson in the AP and coaches polls this year? Yes, 
but I'm still not wanting to read too much into that. I just, I can't read the same into bowl games the way I, one, I never really read much into bowl games. I still remember Jamarcus Russell having the game of his life against Notre Dame at the Sugar Bowl, and that alone made him a number one draft pick, which was the worst draft pick of all time. But so I, I, uh, it, it I, was pretty good until he got on the scissor. No, he, he was wasn't. never good in the NFL. I know he wasn't, but <laughs> I just wanted to work in a scissor preference. He likes the purple. Some scissor. Y'all know the song? 99, mm, 36, UGK? I, I guarantee you, John does not know the song, and I don't either. 36 Mafia, UGK, Project Pat, a rap song in, uh, out of Memphis and Houston, 1999. That's where that phrase came from. <laughs> I thought it was 98, but you're probably right. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> Celebrate 98 with some scissor. Um, so, you know what that is, John, by the way? Scissor. Uh some kind of cough medicine. Yeah. The kids drink the cough medicine to get the get the buzz. Codeine. Is that, that lean? That's a good, good strategy. I, I I guess it beats fentanyl. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. This is how different the take is on our message board. So let's get into Nico. We've got Trevor saying Nico is starting after the Florida game. Then we've got on our message board Rocky Top Tom saying. Joe Milton comes in at 6'5", 240 pounds. I think Joe Milton is going to rocket rocket his 12th year in college. Yes, he has been around college a while. All right, so leading to that, what impact uh, will Nico have this year, John, if any, whatsoever? Well, if you look at Tennessee's recent track record, it's needed a backup quarterback to start a game or two. Uh, Joshua Dobbs is the exception. Uh, great durability. I think it's important, so important that Tennessee has Nico ready to play, that he understands the offense well enough that he can execute it and play. But best case scenario is that Joe Milton starts and does well, and you have Nico in, as a backup, and that he can come in and perform effectively as well, and Tennessee can win a game with him. But if you go the other way and Nico becomes the starter, I think it is it could be tumultuous. Uh, because going into the season, everything is kind of built around Joe Milton being good. And, and the teammates are, are all, uh, their comments are, are reflect that. And he's not only the quarterback, but he's the team leader, as you would want a quarterback to be. So if he doesn't fare well and Nico has to come in and play, it forces Nico to get out of a comfort zone too soon. And uh, I don't know if any freshmen are that comfortable. I think it's a lot to ask, no matter how talented, of a freshman quarterback to win against good teams in the SEC. So I think it will have an impact, though, because even if it's not a whole game, I mean, quarterback, you get bunged up in this league. Quarterback goes out for a series or two or a quarter. Nico needs to come in and play well. So I think he will have an impact. But it's best for Tennessee – if his impact, his greatest impact, doesn't come until next season. I would agree with that. That means Joe Milton's playing well, Caleb. I think we'll know after the Florida game. I think that Tennessee is either going to adapt its offense like they did in the Clemson game, a lot more routes over the middle, which benefits Joe Milton. He's able to dart it in there. I don't think he's got great touch, and I don't think his chemistry was particularly good with Tennessee's wide receivers. It might be this year. But... I think after the Florida game, we'll know. We'll, we'll know 100%. You either go out there and play well against the team that you beat last year, Caleb and, and Tennessee wins. Or if I'm Josh Hopple, I'm thinking in the back of my head, if you don't win that game, maybe I need to try this Nico cat out. That would be my answer to the question. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, hearkening back to our previous segment, um, I'm going to uh, bolster John's point a little bit. I think Tennessee has to be Florida. I think Joe Milton has to beat Florida or else to maintain his credibility. John, you probably remember 2017. I know Dave, you weren't covering Tennessee at the time. The Butch Jones downward spiral started because of that Florida loss with that Hail Mary. I think everybody was off the train at that point because there was this idea that there was no reason to lose to that Florida team. That was a bad Florida team led by a bad coach. And I think the sentiment is that this is a similar Florida team this year. So if you lose to Florida, I think I don't think Joe Milton gets his job back. Yeah, I, I just think – and I can't imagine Florida being a, in great shape going into that game. Again, the, to me, that opener against Utah, that could really take a lot of confidence out of Florida. I just don't see it beating Utah on the road. So going into that game, uh, I just think – I don't see Florida as very formidable. And if Tennessee can't win that game in that situation – I've seen Tennessee too. I've seen Tennessee lose to bad Florida teams, mm-hmm. but I haven't seen Josh Heupel lose to bad Florida teams. Why? Because his offense is always so good that against mediocre teams, it will prevail. So if it falters against Florida, it likely will be because of the offense. It won't be because Graham Mertz completed 30 or 40 of 40 passes for 400 yards. Yep. I, th- I think we've got to remember that, as John pointed out, technically Joe Milton has played a road game, but really he hasn't. And then with the Clemson game, there was an awful lot of Tennessee support. Same thing going to be in Virginia, in Nashville, and then you got uh, Austin P. So it, th- this will be his first uh, true road game with all the pressure on his shoulders, and I think that's big. John, how do we follow you on the World Wide Web? Uh, I, Knox News, go Vols Extra. Right. And also, listen, check out our podcast with the Blake Topmeyer, SEC Unfiltered. Yep. There you go. Great stuff, John. We appreciate it. We will talk to you on Tuesday, one week from today. Thank you, John. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, right. John Adams of the Knoxville News Sentinel. By the way, Joe Milton has been touted by Peyton Manning. What does that mean to you, Caleb, if anything? Because I think Caleb, I think Peyton obviously wants to be a big part of the university he's now a professor and um i i I take what he says with a grain of salt when it comes to tennessee because i think he wants things to be great tennessee could hire ed orgeron as head coach and peyton manning would say he's the smartest person he's ever been around like like i'm just going to be honest like that's that's peyton manning he is he's never he is the most diplomatic politician you could ever see i mean he's the he's the equivalent he's the football equivalent of the politician that goes to every small business and like you're this nation's backbone like that's peyton manning with tennessee he has never said a negative word about anything affiliated with tennessee so when peyton manning touts joe milton i'm sorry i throw that out the window peyton manning touts everybody he said will levis is an nfl quarterback last year on college game day just so people know well, I mean, he is an NFL quarterback. We'll see how long that lasts. Um, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm, with, I'm with you. I mean, Peyton wants wants everything to be good. And what's he supposed to say, that Joe Milton was at my camp and he really struggled with accuracy? I I, you know, I don't put a lot of, of faith in that. Um, and, and that's not a knock on, on Peyton. I mean, it's kind of like your wife. If somebody says, 
man, your wife's really tough to get along with. No, 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 no. I can say that, but you can't say that. And it's kind of the flip. I don't think Peyton Manning's ever going to say something incredibly negative about Tennessee's program, but I don't hate that. And I've said that before, Caleb, it's, it's kind of our job to provide objective insight as the, the trailers say, but that's not Peyton Manning's job. Peyton Manning's job is to be a homer for Tennessee is to run his media company. And I don't, I don't blame him for doing that whatsoever. If, you know, if, it, we, we, analyst is a loose term when it comes to Peyton Manning in Tennessee. Now, the Manning cast, he's great. Uh, and I'm not saying Peyton lies, but I am saying that you have to take his compliments with a grain of salt. Yeah. And so I get it. And you're right. I don't blame Peyton, but I think it it gives me a greater appreciation for more honest people. Like, again, back in the day when Richard Sherman used to go off all the time as a player, I loved it because I'm like, everybody got mad at him. I'm like, he's being honest and talking about how he feels on a less like vitriolic level. Dave, we talked about him yesterday. What if Steve Spurrier ran a quarterback camp? You think Spurrier would lie about any quarterback he coached? <laughs> no, camp? but I no, I think but but what he would do is I, I don't know. And he would change the subject. So that was his play. He just kind of wouldn't answer it and move on. And I don't think Peyton Manning is lying in any shape, for, form, or fashion. I think that Peyton Manning is saying, hey, look at this guy. Look at this athletic ability. This is incredible. He looked great at the camp, and I guarantee you he did. He's not going to show up and look bad at the camp because there are scouts at that camp. Um, Nowadays, it's gotten to be a real event. And I guarantee you he was put in the right position to look great. And then he shows off the arm throwing it 90 yards, which which went viral and all that stuff, or however far he threw it. So, um I don't think he's necessarily lying. I wouldn't use that word. I think he's being optimistically hopeful, and that very well could be the case. Let's remember that sports is not a clear-cut thing. At the end of the day, Josh Heupel, who's one of the better offensive minds in college football and maybe all of football and maybe even proved to be this generation, went with Joe Milton over Hendon Hooker. So mistakes are made in sports. Not everything's cut and dry. The book's not already written. That was cut and dry. Josh Heupel just made the wrong pick. And I, I firmly well, no, believe no, that. No, it was cut and dry, but he made the wrong pick and thought he was making the right pick. Sometimes, and he, he talked about practice. Sometimes guys are gamers and practice players. Now, I think there's something to be said for Joe Milton was his guy that he brought in. But, you know, Caleb, I think there's um, – I think there's sometimes a 60 40. You like this guy more. I don't think it's a hundred percent. This guy's the starter. This is the dude. You are not going to convince me that Heifel just didn't have a bias. And that's why he started Milton. And that hooker, in my opinion, was, wasn't better in practice too. It reminds me, I'm just going to be honest with you, David, on a way different scale. It reminds me of 05 when it, Rick Clawson just outperformed Eric Gange time and time again, but the coaches just wanted Eric Gange to be the starter more than anything else. And so they gave him every chance to win when it was clear that for that team, Rick Clawson was the better quarterback for that specific team. Okay. But let me make sure we're on the same page, by the way, hit like, and subscribe and uh, be sure and share if you'd like to as well, or just tell a friend, but here's, here's my point. Let's say Hendon hooker was 60% to 40% better than Joe Milton. So yes, 
Josh Heupel's bias works into the whole factor, Caleb, and pushes Joe Milton into the starting role. But again, that's what I'm trying to point out. I don't think it's necessarily always clear cut. So if it's close, who are you going to go with? You're going to go with the guy you brought in and that you like from the get, if it's close. And I think it probably was close before 2021. Close. I don't know. I, I, I can't get past the, and maybe Heifel is one, it's just what I see in practice, but I can't get past what Michigan fans said about Joe Milton after they lost him and what Virginia Tech fans said about Hendon Hooker after they lost him. Every Virginia Tech fan was on Hendon Hooker's side with his beef with the program. How many times when you lose a player, Dave, when a, how many times when a school's favorite team loses a player, do they side with the player? Nobody at Tennessee sided with Jalen Hurd over, over Tennessee, even though they probably should have with the Butch Jones saga after he left. But everybody in Virginia Tech sided with Hendon Hooker. And everybody in Michigan was saying, watch out, Joe Milton's going to have issues when he gets on the field. I, I noticed that vibe then. And I'm like, if the fans from these schools saw it, I, I, I can't bring myself to believe Heupel didn't see that too. Well, I mean, obviously things didn't go well at Michigan for Joe Milton. But um, Joe Milton does have an awful lot of athletic ability, and that's why they brought him in. And I, I, I will tell you right now that I can understand seeing a guy with that much athletic ability and giving him the shot over Hendon Hooker because that could be the, the final straw that broke the camel's back in my decision. I get that. I mean, that's... That's a that's a sports car. So if you want to use a NASCAR analysis, you have a Hendrick Motorsports car versus a Wood Brothers car. As far as speed and as far, I know you don't get that reference at all. I don't get but, it at all. Sorry. Yeah, one one is bigger, faster, stronger, produces faster cars more consistently. Joe Milton throws it bigger, farther, and is bigger and stronger, and uh, than Hendon Hooker. So I get that. If it's close at all in camp, you go with the more talented guy. I understand that. I'm not saying it was the right decision. It clearly wasn't. I, I'm just going to stick with I'm not so sure it was that close. I, I'm not so sure now, it was that if, close. If it was like 80-20 and they went with the guy that they just liked because they recruited him, then that's a big error in judgment. If if you're right, then that is Josh Heupel's one major boo-boo at Tennessee. Because wasn't that 2005? Wasn't Rick Clawson like 80-20 clearly better than Ainge in the offseason that year? Yeah, they went with the shiny fast car from Hendrick Motorsports. <laughs> that didn't have any brakes, probably. <laughs> yeah, well, um, yeah, that uh, didn't have a restrictor plate. But, yeah, I mean, I think that you, you like the big shiny thing. And Eric Ainge was a guy that got the ball out quick, strong arm, and – I think it was easy to go with the shiny thing. I actually, it's funny you bring that up. I, I hadn't thought about that, but I think there's a good comparison there. I think that Eric Ainge wasn't ready and Joe Milton wasn't ready or adapted to Tennessee's system in 2001. And uh, Rick Clawson and Hendon Hooker were more ready, especially Clawson. Uh, Hendon Hooker, how ready was he in the beginning of 2001? Uh, I'm I'm not 21. really sure. I'm or yeah, 21. Excuse me. She's like, why do I keep doing that? I could keep dropping a couple of uh, centuries there. That's a big, <laughs> decades. Big deal. So did I mention earlier that I got my first senior citizen discount? <laughs> did I mention that I did somebody just lopped on a 10% senior discount? 
I would rather pay than have the senior discount at this point. And then uh, let's get to uh, Aaron Beasley. Aaron Beasley on the Bednarik watch list. He may be Tennessee's third best linebacker at the end of the year. What do you think about that? Uh, um, I'm going to go a little further than you. And I'm going to say Uh-oh. this, and I'm, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but they're college kids. I mean, they're, because in the past, I would say they're college kids, but they're getting paid now. So, you know, it's NIL era. I get to unleash. Aaron Beasley is the most overrated player on this team by far. I think he's losing his starting job before the year is up. Yep, I, I said it. I don't, I'm not going to go overrated, but I will tell you this. I think that Keenan Peely is there to play and he's going to start. So essentially what they're going to do is start two linebackers. They both kind of play Mike. Um, And I think that Arian Carter will excite them in a lot of ways. Um, I'm not going to say that he won't be the starter by the end of the year for sure, but I will tell you right now that based off what I'm hearing about Arian Carter in practice, that Arian Carter will at least take some of those passing downs away from Aaron Beasley, and I think he could take more. It would not surprise me at the end of the year if you're talking about uh, your starters are Keenan Pilly and Arian Carter. If you ran <clears throat> if you ran the old 4-3, now let's not get into depth, but if you ran the 4-3, you'd feel really good about these three linebackers, right? But they're not, and there are only two on the field. Yeah, and – Dave, I've I mean, got a question you could, for you. If you could put Beasley, theoretically, let's say at Will, back in the old 4-3 days, at Will linebacker, weak side, and he doesn't have to worry about coverage, which I know that you brought up a lot, um, I think he'd, he'd be just fine because he doesn't have a guy to cover as often. But, Dave, okay. I, I'm pulling. I'm just going to pull up some stats for you all real quick. Aaron Beasley had 13 tackles for a loss last year. Seven. More than half were in that South Carolina game, which was a wild game, by the way, and the Clemson game. Dave, are we talking about Aaron Beasley this way if it's not for the Clemson game? And should we ever, ever hype a player up because of a bowl game that was a consolation game? No. I, tackles were lost in that game. No, I really thought that he was better last year than Jeremy Banks, obviously, and I wouldn't have thought that before the year. So I thought Beasley was a pleasant surprise last year. I, did you not think he was a pleasant surprise? I'm not saying he's Lawrence Taylor. I thought he was overall a pleasant surprise. You I let thought Aaron, tackles, right? Uh, yes, I thought Aaron Beasley was effective on design rushes that Tim Binks drew up a lot of times, and he was his best thing. Actually, was his best thing was not allowing running running plays to get to the next level you know the 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 biggest thing for linebackers that we got to talk about is don't let running backs get to the secondary right that's like a huge deal don't let them get to the secondary and he didn't let him get to the secondary a lot of times i give him a lot of credit on that but i mean we again aaron beasley is so one-dimensional of a player i mean it's 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 almost like if he were an edge rusher it'd be okay but he's He's a linebacker he's almost like an undersized edge rusher yeah exactly and so yeah. uh, it's – and the only undersized edge rusher I ever thought was elite at Tennessee was Kurt Majet in 2014. But that was just – I mean, if he had, hadn't gotten hurt, that, he was a freak of nature elite undersized edge rusher. But, yeah, Aaron Beasley, on the other hand, I, I, I'm not giving him Kurt Majet status. And, again, his he's getting a lot of hype because of the Orange Bowl. 
this year more than anything else. And I just, I, I'm sorry, people are going to hate me, but I'm really close to just wanting to throw that game out the window altogether. I, I, I see that. I think there are things that you can pull from it. You're talking about the Orange Bowl, right? Yes. Um, I typically do throw out bowl games, but I think the things that I pull out of it are, are twofold. One, maturity to play in a game that's not the college football playoff, which you've been hoping for all year. The other thing I pull up, pull out of it is the rallying around Joe Milton. Uh, you know, Tennessee had a lot of players sit out of that game, opt out, and Joe Milton could have gone out there and played very average, but he played really well in a slightly tweaked offense. So I pulled those two things out. But as far as the other factors that people want to pull from that game, I'm with you. And I don't pull a lot out of bowl games. But uh, let's remember, too, not to pull too much out of that bowl game because Clemson thought they would be in the college football playoff as well. So they were probably disappointed. They had some people opt out even more, I believe. It was two teams that were a shell of themselves earlier in the year. So if you want to pull nothing out of that Orange Bowl, I can't argue with that, the two things I would pull out is rallying around Joe and the maturity to finish finish the season on a high note. That, you know, Tennessee could have mailed that one in because they didn't make the college football playoff and they didn't. Yeah, I mean that that Clemson probably was more disappointed because it was a little more recent their loss than Tennessee is, although both were eliminated by the same team. Dave, history lesson for you because I've always said this: you watched that '97 Orange Bowl when Tennessee got just absolutely destroyed and obliterated by Nebraska. 42 to 17. I, and Fred White may disagree with me on this, but I'm going to say it. I think Tennessee mailed that game in. I don't think it was that big of a disparity. And the reason I think they mailed that game in is because when Michigan beat Washington State in the Rose Bowl the day before, Tennessee realized they would have no shot at the national title, even if they had won that game. And so I think that, so they realized they had no shot at the national title, whereas Nebraska was playing for a share of the national title. Who do you think is going to be more motivated to play that game? Uh, yeah, Nebraska, no question. The The two things I will tell you that I know for a fact is that Keenan Pilly is going to be a starter. You don't go out there and get the transfer player like him, and he's very experienced, and you don't go out and get him unless you think he's going to be a starter. So he's going to be a starter. And Arian Carter is probably AC, as they call him now, will bring the heat. AC will bring the heat. You like that? Yeah, <laughs> AC uh, is a more athletic version of Aaron Beasley. And uh, by more athletic, I mean, he's going to be able to drop into coverage better. I mean, that he's going to be able to rush the passer better, which you and I agree that's Aaron Beasley's kind of strength uh, because of what Tim Banks draws up. So if I'm Aaron Beasley, I'm, I'm a little concerned about how this season plays out. And if I could lose snaps, he, he will lose snaps. I can promise you with what AC is doing in the preseason camp that he will lose snaps. I don't know that he'll lose a starting position. Maybe out of respect, they start him at the end of the year and Carter goes in there pretty quickly or they split snaps. But yeah, he's going to, he's going to lose some snaps to Arian Carter. I believe that 110%. Yeah. So let's talk intangibles too, for a minute. I gotta be honest. I mean, we we know Keenan Peely probably has amazing intangibles, just given his background. I think is it him? I think he has actually a connection to JT Mapu. Uh, I could be wrong on that. Don't quote me, guys, but I do believe he does. We know that. We know those. We know JT Mapu was a great dude who played for Tennessee. Um, 
I've heard a lot of great things about Arian Carter too, in terms of his intangibles, his work ethic, his just, you know, he's not, I don't know if you've heard the same things I have, but at least. What I've heard is incredibly physically. uh, Yeah, no, I've heard gets it, gets it is the term. That's an exact quote from somebody within Tennessee's program is gets it. He gets it. So that would speak to the maturity level and knowledge of the game. And he's incredibly athletic or he wouldn't have been, what was he have? Four-star player that Alabama absolutely loved. Um, so he was no, a four-star coming out of Smyrna. Yeah, yeah. You don't you don't get to four-star level. You don't get Alabama love unless you're really good. I want to provide some insight to this Michael Orr thing that I believe I can do right after this. Give me ninety seconds. And Michael Orr says he was never really adopted. What? And that is it. The Tuies uh, is yes. that their name? They. They took his money from the blind side. Um, and I can tell you where Tennessee stood on Michael Orr. I know we're going back a little bit, but remember the former offensive lineman out of Memphis who went to Ole Miss and admitted he was paid on the NFL draft. I can give you some insight and where Tennessee stood in that. Should have been a ball 90 seconds after this. Candace, I was, I was really heavy into the drug culture. Um, I was selling drugs. I was just constantly in pain. I was missing like a good support system in my life. Chaos has given me everything that I need in order to successfully have a wonderful recovery, in order to have a life that I didn't even know was possible. And it's not just about me anymore. And I love that. I absolutely love it. You can take your life back. Call Cadis today. With all that sun, sand, and salt water, the beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. Sports Treasures in North Knoxville is one of the South's largest sports cards and memorabilia dealers featuring over 10 million sports cards from vintage to modern. Sports Treasures carries a full line of hobby boxes, singles, autographed memorabilia, Tennessee ball collectibles, fan cave decorations, and so much more. See a museum full of collectibles at Sports Treasures, 4819 North Broadway in Fountain City, and Sports Treasures on Facebook. Sports Treasures, where the real sports fan goes to shop. Objective coverage. Hey, that's new. If we get cut, we're going to jail. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of Off the Hook Sports. YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. I'm going to need to see some identification. Back to Dave Hooker. What do you think about this Michael Orr situation? Go ahead and lay it out there for me, Caleb. I mean, I'm read up on it but for our listeners uh michael or for those that are a little bit younger and we hear that uh the uh, podcasting and the streaming goes to the younger cats even though our analytics would uh differ but michael or was one of the highest rated offensive linemen that i ever covered <coughs> excuse me coming out of uh memphis so lay out the lawsuit and then i'll give you some insight and why Tennessee didn't get him, because I covered his recruiting very closely. So Michael Lohr, there's two, and I'm going to give both sides to this, because I want to be totally fair. Michael Lohr is suing the Tui family. He is claiming that they never adopted him, but rather tricked him into a conservatorship, which is a word ever... 
Sorry? Just for the two Tui, get, take a big, big picture. Who are the Tuis again? For those that don't know, they're, they're, they're the so, family. Sandra Bullock, she did it. Yeah, Sean and Leanne Tui. That was the couple that Sandra Bullock and Tim McGraw played in The Blind Side. They, according to that movie, you know, found Michael Lore off the street and took him in, which was a everybody who knew from Memphis knew that story was a lie from the start. Michael Lore knew how to play football before he joined the family. There were he wasn't he didn't do poorly in school the way they like there were a lot of things that they had they spruced up for Hollywood put it that way. Okay. I didn't know that part, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, he was very good. At I didn't know that it was well known in Memphis that he, he was, was a... very good at his public school before he ended up going to Briarcrest. Okay, um, okay, gotcha. Yes, very good player, and so the Tui family, very, very, very wealthy business people in Memphis. I think they own like 87 Taco Bell franchises in the, yes. around the area. They, Sean Tui. Very chalupa away from being a billionaire. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sean Tui played basketball at Ole Miss, I believe. He was the Grizzlies color commentator for their local TV broadcast for years. So very, very, very well connected in the city of Memphis. Michael Orr is claiming he was tricked into signing a conservatorship because with them after he turned 18, which he had said he believed was him being adopted. Now, everybody who follows the Britney Spears stuff is, has learned about what a conservatorship is the past like two or three years. <laughs> Basically means you make all business decisions, which means you could take money from somebody you, potentially. Like if Caleb, if I signed a conservatorship for Caleb, he could determine where all of my money went. He's more than a business manager. He, he actually has the final say. It's like a I whole... like control your life. Yeah, basically, yes. And it's typically reserved for people with serious mental illnesses that almost always should be approved by a judge, by the way, to determine if you are not well off mentally to handle your own self. It's typically reserved, I think, for like elderly people with Alzheimer's, right, that you know just can't make their – that. that's what it's usually for. Now, to give, to give the two-way side of this – Jeff Calkins, who has been a great longtime columnist in Memphis. Guys, he's the John Adams of Memphis in terms of sports columnist. And he interviewed the Sean Tui yesterday after this all happened. And Sean Tui claims that they were going to adopt Michael Orr. But I'm sorry, excuse me. Sean Tui claims that they couldn't adopt Michael Orr because he was 18. But because he was living with them, he couldn't go to Ole Miss because the Tuies were such big boosters for Ole Miss, unless he signed into a conservatorship. And that's why this happened. But at best, your most charitable situation for the Tui family is that they did some shady stuff to funnel Michael Orr to Ole Miss when he may, may not have wanted to go to Ole Miss. Okay, here's where I can provide some different insight. And I will go ahead and tell you that Michael Orr would have been a Tennessee ball had the Tui's not got involved and you always hear rumors that they could be funneling somebody or this guy could be funneling somebody to a particular school. And Oh, I, I sometimes take those with kind of a, a grain of salt until I hear it. But that one was so strong. It was hard to deny. I'm talking in recruiting circles. People would tell me, you know, signing day back then was in February. They would tell me in the summer, that this guy's going to Ole Miss, don't even waste your time. So I can tell you that I went to Memphis to interview as many prospects as I could. It was like a three-day trip, and I got everybody I needed except for Michael Orr. 
And it was weird that he didn't show up. And I was really surprised and disappointed because he was the highest rated player. So I'm driving back from that trip. And I remember being in downtown Nashville because I had to find my recorder, put my phone on speaker and record. And I recorded an interview with Michael Orr. So Michael Orr, I asked him, I said, do you like Tennessee? He goes, no, I love, love, love Tennessee. Oh, that's interesting. Based off all I've heard, I mean, I'm saying this in my head that you're going to Ole Miss. I said, do you like Philip Former? He is my favorite coach that I've visited with. I love, love, love Philip Former. I think I got Michael Orr one of the rare times that he wanted to be honest with a reporter and there wasn't a Tui or a potential coach. I don't know if the coach was involved, but there wasn't a Tui looking over his shoulder. I believe that he was so difficult to get a hold of that he either didn't like doing interviews or that he was being told not to do interviews. Well, he was so well-spoken and he enjoyed talking to me. We had a good talk that I don't believe for a second that he was avoiding interviews. I think that he was told not to do interviews, especially with somebody that was from Knoxville or Tuscaloosa, or wherever, because they wanted him in Oxford. I bet if I had been with an Oxford Press Register or whatever that paper is down there, I bet that he would have been on the phone or at his school when I'd requested him 110% of the time. And I've always wondered this too, Caleb. If the coach didn't have him call me, because I'd visited with the coach and said, I would really just like to talk to him. And I, I always wondered if the coach had him call me without the two he's knowing. There was just Wait. this sense that you had to like navigate through people. Does that make sense? You know, you know who his high school coach was, right? Yes, I do. <laughs> Hugh, Hugh Freeze like, for the Yes. Hugh Freeze. So is that, are you saying you think Hugh Freeze tried to get Michael Orr to call you? Or are you saying that? another one of the coaches i don't know i think somebody helped me they have like a recruiting coordinator type of guy this was when this was just starting a lot of times you'll name an assistant nowadays is the guy who handles those interviews so i can't remember the guy that i visited with now hugh freeze remember this he doesn't know he's getting the old miss job at that point so if i were him i would keep all my connections open uh, he may think if he thought to himself that this kid, this 17 year old kid is my best connection to get in college football, then that was completely stupid. And because you want to keep all of your connections open, you don't want to burn a bridge at Tennessee. And there was talk that maybe he could find a place at Tennessee as some sort of an administrative assistant getting paid six digits, which happened with Ray Grant when Tennessee took Vincent Yarbrough, if you remember. Okay, so it's not outside the realm of possibility that could have happened. So maybe he thought that. Now, that being said, as a backdrop, Caleb, I know, I know you got something to say. Michael Lord is not the smartest cat in the world based off what he did on draft night, right? I think you're – aren't you mixing him up with Laramie Tunsil? I don't think he oh, actually sorry, admitted I'm to getting paid. Excuse me, Michael. Yeah, okay, But so, he isn't the smartest cat. He's actually – he's he's had he, – he got into a fight with like a cab driver one time up in Baltimore. So he hasn't had like the cleanest track record. Let's be fair – on that since he's been in the NFL. Well, um, and, and the bottom line is too, um, he was funneled to Ole Miss. There is no question in my mind. 
and let's think about this, Dave, for a minute, because you're right. For those who don't know, because what he was talking about with Freeze and the opportunity, the minute Michael Orr committed to Ole Miss, Q Freeze got hired by Ole Miss in an administrative role in some sort. And then he became an on-field position coach the very next year. And so this was his ticket to college football. I will say this. I want to know what Hugh Freeze knew when this when this was signed, because I think that Ole Miss, for those who don't remember, was more desperate for a top-notch player at that time than Tennessee. Ole Miss had just hired Ed Orgeron. They had just fired David Cutcliffe, which, as you know, Dave, firing David Cutcliffe was not popular in Ole Miss and a lot of Ole Miss circles at that time. No, it wasn't. And and David, you know, was asked to fire several of his coaches, and he wouldn't do that. When I look at Hugh Freeze, I mean, what's worse, calling escorts, because those are two consenting adults, okay? Or is it worse funneling an 18-year-old kid, who I know technically is an adult, to a school that he may not be as enamored with? I think the worst, honestly, if I... If I'm Auburn when I'm hiring Hugh Freeze, I've got a bigger concern about his recruiting issues than the escorts. The escorts are more scintillating and salacious. And yes, you should be fired for that. But I got a bigger problem with his recruiting in the Orr situation, in the Tunzel situation specifically. I've got a I've got more issues with that than than yeah, I've got- what he did with escorts. I've got a problem with tricking players. He tricked my, if he, if this is true, he, he may have been involved in tricking and funneling Michael Lore. We know he tricked players when he was under investigation. If you remember when Ole Miss tried to throw Houston Nutt under the bus, they did that knowing that was going to come out to be untrue, but they wanted to keep their players long enough until they signed after signing day. So they wouldn't be able to transfer. That was Hugh Freeze doing that. There's also the, uh, there's the escorts. There's the allegation of when he was at Briarcrest during this time, by the way, Another great, another teammate of Michael. I mean, Briarcrest was really like had no scandals at the time. You know, they had Greg Hardy as their defensive lineman at the time. That's just right. A, you know, a beacon of just morals and values, Briarcrest. Um, yes. And so, and Hugh Freeze there, and it's on AL.com now, guys. There are people who were high school students at Briarcrest that time who say when they were underage girls and they weren't in proper uniform, Hugh Freeze would tell them to take off their shirts and wait and sit in their brawls until somebody brought the proper uniform. Now, he that's, denies that. Yeah, that's not creepy at all. Yeah. Now, sarcasm. He, sarcasm. <laughs> the interesting thing is, Dave, let's play this all in your head. You're an offensive lineman. You're Michael Ward. You're a four-star offensive lineman. Would be a five-star had you gotten noticed earlier, probably. Yes. You can, You have two options. I'm going to Tennessee. Go I know where you're going. I'm going to yeah. Tennessee with the best offensive line coach of his generation. Yes, exactly. That's still rolling as a program, as opposed to a school that just went four and seven, fired its coach and hired a guy in Ed Orgeron, who his guru skills at the time were defensive line coach, but no one trusted him as an X's and O's guy at all. No, no, no. Um, I, there, there's no question he should have he should have gone to Tennessee, and that was the right business decision. It was the only reason I continued to heavily cover him, cover him, or at least try. I had trouble getting him on the phone, which is rare for someone in state typically you're able to get the in-state guys pretty easily if you work for the tennessee and or the knoxville news sentinel as i did at the time uh, be sure to hit that like and subscribe button and turn your notifications on for for more of uh, what we have including the celebrate series celebrate 98 series and the vol report with jacob warren and cooper mays um but but i'll say this i think he was a really good good kid um based off my conversation with him 
I think that um, if I had to bet right now that the Tui family absolutely funneled him to Ole Miss and that Hugh Freeze was a part of it, I would bet my 401k. I would literally, I'm not saying I would bet my mortgage, which is my go-to. I would bet my 401k. Yeah, and even the movie couldn't even deny that they were trying to tell Ed Orgeron the best way to recruit him. It's, it's yeah, I would. Ed Orgeron has had the screwiest career in the history of man. <laughs> if Ed Orgeron would be honest, I, I, I might take a month off and write the Ed Orgeron book. And he might be now because he doesn't he doesn't care anymore. I mean, he's just out. He took his seventeen million dollar buyout. I would say this too, guys. There's a hilarious Espy sketch that's turning out to be more true than we thought. Yes. Where Peyton, the Ma- Sand- Peyton, yeah, the Sandra Bullock. Are you talking about the Sandra Bullock one where she... With Peyton Manning. Yes. Oh, I didn't remember yes. Peyton was in it. Okay. Yeah, Peyton dubs himself into the blindside clips and like they make this whole scary thing. Like she likes to collect football players and she tries to collect Peyton Manning and he's like a superstar. She's like, I'm going to save you, Peyton. That, 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 that sketch seems even realer now, doesn't it? us he's caleb calhoun i'm dave hooker (laughs) thanks for listening and watching again hit that subscribe button turn your notifications on we're on the youtube and we're with you each and every weekday at 10 a.m he's caleb calhoun i'm dave hooker this has been a presentation of off the hook sports lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.